Welcome back to the Chili Dip Podcast. I'm your host, Fitz, joined alongside PGA Tour player Chase Seifert. Chase, how are we doing? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So our listeners might not be too familiar with you. You were a rookie on the PGA Tour last year, um, and we'll, we'll talk plenty about, about that. But I just want to know first, kind of growing up, what were your beginnings in golf, and, and how did you get started in the game? Yeah, my uh... – my granddad, was, he would play a couple times a week uh, when I was younger. And, um, yeah, I just kind of started going with him and got a little curious about it. And first few times we went, I became hooked. And I think I was nine years old at the time. And, uh, yeah, so he kind of cut me down a set of clubs. And he actually ended up putting, like, a little kind of tarp or net up in his backyard. And I would just sit and hit balls all day. And I loved it. And so then, you know, we would just golf every Saturday, Sunday. That was kind of our little thing, me and my granddad. and that's kind of my beginning. Um, my parents don't play at all, which is actually kind of a nice thing because, you know, they didn't really push me or, you know, the game kind of was all, I was all self-motivated really. So kind of learned to love the game that way and I was never pushed. And so I never really got burned out either when I was younger too. Yeah, absolutely. So as you got older, did you kind of play a national junior schedule or, or were you playing mostly on the local scene in Florida? You grew up in, in Panama city did you play mostly around there or was it big time AJGA tournaments for you? I actually never played an AJGA event. Um, I played a lot of just small local events around the area. Um, you know, things my mom could drive me to. Um, never, I didn't fly to a tournament until I was in college. Wow. Um, so yeah, I just played a lot of small local stuff and some Southeastern junior golf tours back in the day and just things of that nature trying to get better. And um, I, I couldn't afford to fly around and play all those big tournaments. And um, so what worked for me was just, yeah, my mom would drive me a couple hours and we'd play all the local stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering, cause you kind of had a, an interesting route through college into the PGA tour. You played a couple years at, at central Alabama community college, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, and then you ended up at Florida state a couple years later, but at that point in your life, was your plan to transfer to a big time school and try to play professionally or, or were you just kind of taking it year by year? You know, I'm going to play my four years here and see where that takes me. Yeah. So coming out of high school, I had a really nice senior year. Um, I think I had a scoring average in the like 69 point something. So I had a nice senior year, but again, I wasn't playing the big national tournaments to get the big recognition. Um, and so, and also I, I wasn't good enough to play division one golf straight out of high school. It's just kind of what it was. Um, so, you know, Dave Jennings, the coach of central Alabama offered me a scholarship. Uh, I came and played for two years under him. One of the best decisions of my life. Um, and it's actually, it's a two year school. So I was going to have to transfer somewhere after anyway, but yeah, the plan was to, you know, get better at golf, get better at practicing, you know, use those two years in a quality way and then uh, transfer to a big division one school. And it just so happened that, you know, Trey Jones over at Florida State, you know, offered me a scholarship right there after my sophomore year. And it just worked out great being, you know, back close to home and at such a great school. Yeah. So it's got to be interesting going from community college. I'm sure community college is not funded in quite the same way that a top tier division one school like Florida State is. What was that like kind of going from there? And then you're going to one of the top programs, uh, top 50 programs in the country in Florida State. You know, was that a, a big adjustment for you? It was a big step up because, um, yeah, community college, it still, it still feels kind of like high school in a way. I mean, the classes are small, 
really small campus, small town feel. Um, so, and then obviously we're, you know, we're driving to most of our tournaments. Uh, I think the only event we may have flown to would have been national championships. So, yeah, and then to go to Florida State, which is, what, 50,000 students and every class has 300 people. And, you know, obviously we're flying to most of the tournaments now. And so it was definitely a big change and a big step up. And then obviously, you know, competing against, you know, some of the best players in the world that were my teammates there. So it was a little bit of a learning curve and it took me a little while to adapt, but kind of got the hang of it there after my, I guess, my junior year fall season. Yeah. So from what I've read, you know, it's, it's a pretty big deal. You played with, with Brooks Kapka, you know, with him at Florida state for a couple of years. I don't want to get into him too much, but I do want to know, was his personality kind of the same back then? Did he have that, you know, mega alpha personality at Florida state, or was that something that developed kind of after when he got to the PGA tour and, and, and was kind of big time? He's, he's kind of always had that. Um, he may have been born like that. I don't really know, but he's always had that, you know, super alpha, super confident, um, borderline cocky, I would guess, but I wouldn't say it's even cocky. It's just, he's so certain in his abilities and what he can do. Um, that's a great thing. I mean, look at, look at what it's produced and you could kind of see it coming as his teammate. I mean, he was incredible, incredible talent. And, um, just once he refined those few things that he needed, uh, which was maybe short game and putting and coming out, he, he refined those things. And then, yeah, started winning majors left and right. So, so, after you graduate from Florida State, you know, you turn professional. What was your plan, uh, you know, coming out of there? How did you plan to approach professional golf? What route did you want to take to get to the PGA Tour? My plan was to just make it right through Q School and, and hit the ground running, but it didn't really work out like that. I, uh, I actually got injured the first year after, or the first Q School out of college. I, I injured my back, like right before first stage and kind of squeaked through first stage fine and then of course didn't make it through second stage i was in a lot of pain and just was hitting it terrible um but uh yeah after that i was healthy just i never really made it through q school it was kind of just a tough thing for me where again it's one week out of the year that you have to play well you can play well the other 51 weeks if you if you don't play well the week of q school then you just i mean you better luck next year i guess but you know, all the hardships of not making it through really made me a lot tougher. And I kind of had to forge my own path, which ended up being through Monday qualifying. And again, just those years of not having status kind of helped me really refine my game and get better and better each year. And to where, you know, once I got status on the web, I was able to, you know, jump quickly to the tour and now, you know, keeping my card. Yeah. So I read somewhere that you played Q school for the McKenzie tour in 2015. You ended up in a four for three playoff. That's gotta be a really nerve wracking situation. And you talked about the struggles, the mental battles of going through Q school year after year. I'm wondering if you can explain that experience, what it was like in kind of handling those nerves of knowing if I don't make it, I've got to wait an entire year to, to try this again. Right. No, I mean, it was, it definitely was nerve wracking and I, I can actually still remember that playoff very well. Um, it was freezing cold too. Like, you know, late in the afternoon in California, it gets really cold and it was kind of almost getting dark and I didn't have a jacket. I mean, I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> just totally we, un unequipped really good, we thought we were going to be kind of in and then kind of last minute got thrown into a playoff. So, um, but no, I was just lucky. I think I squeaked through with a bogey and, you know, got my status and went and played my year in Canada and, you know, I really enjoyed that, but, 
I didn't seem to get as much out of it as I thought I would. Um, and so yeah, I just went right back to Monday qualifying. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, you, there's a long span of time between when you graduated from Florida state in 2013 and now your rookie year that you just finished last year on the PGA tour in that time, did you ever think about quitting professional golf? Was that, was that a possibility for you or, or was it, no, I'm, I'm going to keep trying this until I make it. The moment had, I mean, it had crossed my mind a few times briefly. It never was, you know, a long-term thing. Like after the, the Q school in 2016 was probably like the most heartbreaking where I think I made nine pars in a row coming in to miss by one in Mobile stage two. Um, that was kind of brutal. And so I took, I think, two and a half or three months off after that. And I mean, I just didn't touch a club at all and really kind of not soul searching, but making sure that's, you know, really what I wanted to do is continue to play. And yeah, after a month and a half, I got the urge to really want to play again. I really want to get better. and. I knew this is what my calling was, so just got right back to the drawing board and kind of worked on a plan to get better, and it's just kind of it slowly worked out into place there, like 2017, 2018, and then, you know, leading up to now. Absolutely. You said in an interview last year, I have to ask you about this, uh, it was something that the Corn Ferry Tour did, but you said you wake up at 5 a.m. on average. You know, it's usually mm-hmm. dark out at 5 what are you doing that early? Like, is that part of your routine? It, I, it just sounded kind of crazy to me. Actually, yeah, this morning I got up around like five o'clock too. Um, I don't know. I just like to get up early cause it's peaceful. It's quiet. You know, like my wife's still asleep. Most of the, you know, our dogs still asleep too. So it just kind of gives me a little bit of time to myself. Um, usually I'll do some kind of maybe some kind of training, weight training or do some reading, just something. I just kind of like to go ahead and get up and, and really what it is, is it stems back to like morning tea times. Like you get those really early times, like seven o'clock, seven fifteen. like it's sometimes it's hard to wake up. Yeah. Those can be jarring. So if, for I'm, sure. you know, if I'm sleeping in until eight every day at home and then I go on the road and then I got to be up at, you know, four forty-five for morning tea time, something that's just hard. So in a way I kind of like to train myself at home to then be able to comfortably wake up early on the road. <laughs> but again, I just, I'm a morning person. So I like to just kind of get up and, and have my own time to myself. Yeah. Uh, what's your practice routine like? You know, are, are you are you big into golf fitness? Are you working out a lot? Uh, are you a range rat or do you go out and play more? You know, what's your, your daily kind of routine when you're back home in Florida? Mm-hmm. So I, I need to be better at the fitness. That's something I'm going to do this off season. Um, it's something that I've struggled with once I've got status just because there's not a lot of time and you know, not a lot of energy, really just spending so much energy playing golf. It's hard to then have some leftover to, you know, to train. So that's something I'm going to try to do this off season, but the normal day is I get to the course around six 30. Um, usually I'll practice until about nine and then, uh, go kind of go play nine holes around nine or something and then have lunch. And that's kind of what I do most days when I'm home. That's like a, you know, an off week practice schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, yeah, I'll practice six thirty to nine and then go play nine holes and then, uh, yeah, take the afternoon off and work out or whatever. But, and there's a lot of 18 hole days in there too, but that's kind of what works for me because uh, I like to get all my work done in the morning and then I have the afternoon to relax and, you know, that keeps me from being burnt out. It's kind of what would have, what I have to do. So, um, I wouldn't consider myself a range rat. I mean, there are moments when you have to, when you know, you have to hit the range and you have to work. 
but most of the time it's just kind of refining the fundamentals, you know, the setup, the alignment, the, you know, ball position, all the minor little things that get off when you play too much golf. So, but it's a lot, yeah, it's a lot of wedge work, a lot of short game work, a lot of putting. That's actually most of my time putting. Um, so that's kind of what works for me. Um, this off season will be a little different since I have some time. I'll probably spend more time on the range, you know, trying to make some work, some, you know, improvements in my game. Um, but yeah, normal week, I don't spend all that much time on the range. I, if I do anything, I prefer to get on the course and it's just easier for me to see shots that way too. The range is so vanilla and plain. It's hard to pick out targets and hit quality shots. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So are you, I'm always interested to ask tour players this. Are you a guy that, that goes out and tries to find money games? Are you trying to, you know, get tournament ready by, by playing for money? Cause it seems like there's a lot of guys on tour that, that will use that as a way to get ready for tournaments when there's a long layoff. But, you know, some guys aren't into that. They're into practicing more and, you know, going out playing by themselves and working on shaping the ball. Are you a guy that gets out there and plays for money with some of the other guys down in Florida? I would love to. Um, that would be, you know, incredible for me. But unfortunately, where I'm at, I'm the only kind of player here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at my two courses, I'm the only, I'm the only player. So, it would be nice to have a couple guys and, you know, go play for some money that makes you a little nervous. And cause it's a, it's a great practice. It really is. But I'm just in a situation where I, I can't really do that here. Um, it's hard for me to find like fair games with members and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but no, I would love to have more of that. I really would. Uh, actually, you know, we were talking about a couple of years ago, moving to like Jacksonville or somewhere just where there were more guys. But in the end, we end up staying here because I kind of love my setup, but, no, I would love more guys to be around and practice and play with. Yeah, it seems like it's working well for you. But, you know, you've now gotten a full year under your belt on the PGA Tour, and you've seen what it takes to really play well. So looking back, what's the biggest change you've noticed between the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour? And obviously, courses are a bit more challenging, and the pins are tucked a little bit more towards the edges of greens, and the rough is longer. But Let's, let's say you take the 70th ranked player on the PGA Tour, the 70th ranked player on the Corn Ferry Tour. What's the biggest difference between those two guys? That's a great question. Give me just a second to kind of think about that. Absolutely. I would say the biggest difference is the 70th ranked player on the PGA Tour makes less mistakes. And it could be, I mean, like one decision a week or one shot a week or so. It's, it's very finite. I mean, the difference is so small. But after watching guys on both tours and just paying attention to them. I, yeah, the 70th ranked guy just makes less mistakes. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, probably makes a few more birdies too. So they're not making as many bogeys and they're making one or two more birdies, maybe a week or even. So it's that small of a difference, but yeah, they're just, they're so good at what they do and how they need to get the ball in the hole. Um, and they're so refined at that. And I think that's, that's probably going to be the biggest difference for sure. Yeah. And probably, you know, short game too. Everyone on the PGA Tour, their short game is really, really good. Even the guys who you may have heard, like, oh, they're not that great at chipping or pitching. Mm-hmm. They're still really good at chipping and pitching. Yeah. They're best at chipping and pitching. So, yeah, I mean, everyone's short game out here is so good, and they always, you know, stone dead every shot. So those are kind of probably the two differences. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you hear a lot about Victor Hovland. He's – publicly come out and said you know my chipping sucks like you know it's just it's not good it's not what it needs to be you hear about charles howell how he goes out and stripes it every week and can't really putt that well but 
if you go out there and spend 18 holes walking with them, you'd realize how freaking good every yes. aspect of their game is like how much better it is than you actually think it is. You think, you know, say Charles Howell, you think he's missing two footers on every hole. Like, no, I mean, this guy is one of the best putters in the world, just relative to say Jordan Spieth, Aaron Baddeley, some of the best putters out there. There's mm -hmm. a, there's a slight difference. Yeah. He just, I mean, let's say Charles Howell, if he just holds two more eight footers a week, then yeah. I mean, it's, he's probably maybe won another tournament or something. It's that, it's, it's that finite of a difference, but yeah, he's, they're still really good, even though their expectations of themselves are really high in what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about golf fitness a little bit and, and I just asked you about the, the difference between the PGA tour and the corn Ferry tour. Do you think there's something to be said about distance? Um, you know, our guys on the PGA tour are a little bit longer, you know, especially when you look at the top 10 guys on the PGA tour tend to be some of the longest guys out there. Is that something that you're thinking about, you know, distance, I'm trying to pick up distance and you know, is that a way that I can improve my game? Absolutely. hundred percent. Um, I've had times in my career where I've, I've hit the ball fairly long, where I've had 120 swing speed mm -hmm. um, back in like 2017, and yeah, I missed that. It's fun to think about how far I used to hit five irons and stuff. Yeah. Not nearly as straight back then, though, but that's the only give. But uh, no, I mean, what Bryson's doing, and anytime you could have one less club into a green, or just, you know, your scoring chances are going to improve, so... I mean, I, 100% this offseason, I'm going to just try to really build my legs back up and get them stronger because that's mm -hmm. kind of – that's where I've lost some speed and some distance. Just my legs have gotten not as strong and, you know, a little fatigued from walking, you know, seven miles a day for, you know, five days a week and something like that. So, it's 100% like Bryson is changing the game and Dustin and Rory and those guys who absolutely pummel the ball. I mean, they're just – they're kind of forcing our hands that we have to, you know, improve ourselves and, and hit it a little farther. Yeah, I was digging into your stats a little bit, and you know, you weren't one of the longest guys out there, but in strokes gained off the tee, you ranked you ranked pretty well. So I was wondering, you know, it's a, it's a tough balance because if you're you're picking up strokes on the field off the tee, you gotta you gotta be thinking, you know, why am I gonna mess with this? But at the same time, it seems like you can gain such an edge by just picking up 10, 15 yards, and then you're hitting your irons even slightly further. So instead of hitting five iron into a green, you might be hitting seven or eight iron. Right. And then, and the thing is too, like a lot of these courses are set up to where if you can carry it like 295, 300 comfortably, you can take a lot of trouble out of play. Yeah. And so, yeah, where I was, you know, where I've been driving it the last like five, six months, I'm like kind of hitting it right into that bunker instead of being able to recover it. So huge incentive to, to just build, you know, carry it 300 on a dime and when you need to just take trouble out of play because that's what those guys are doing i mean they're just sending it right over the top and <laughs> no worries yeah you just got to keep it within the trees keep it within the corridor <laughs> and it doesn't matter if it's in the rough i mean you can't have the rough be eight inches long so right right so a lot of the, a lot of the courses are set up with i mean it's not like we're out of bounds down both sides i mean you're you're going to find your ball and it's going to be playable so yeah. What, what do you think courses could do to negate that? Is there anything that they can do besides, you know, there's a lot of talk about making the greens really firm, but it seems like narrowing the fairways hasn't worked. We, we saw that at Wingfoot. Is there anything that you think that the PGA tour can do to kind of make it a little bit more fair for, for everyone? I don't really know. I mean, if, yeah, it's a tough question. No matter what the course is set up, like if Bryson has a good week, he's going to win. I mean, it's just, yeah. 
you can set up however you want. I mean, if he hits it good with what he does, he's got such a big advantage. But, um, yeah, I mean, the only way is really just to make the greens crazy firm. I mean, they already tuck the pins in crazy positions already, like most of the time. So it kind of stems down to the greens and the rough. I mean, we, we don't want, you know, knee-high cabbage every week, but yeah. that may be like the only offsetting thing to where, yeah, they may be 40 yards closer to the green, but, yeah, they, they're hacking it out sideways now instead of getting it on the front. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there, there may be some architectural design to like where you can design holes or, you know, to where length doesn't quite benefit you or something or maybe put more bunkers in up there at 340, but mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just not really – there's nothing you can really do. It's just the way the game's going now. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it doesn't seem like anyone really has the real answer. And it, it might, the answer might lie in equipment. It might, that might be the only solution to it, whether they dial back the driver, dial back the golf ball. It I, might I guess be, but let's say you do that. In my opinion, the longer guys are still going to be the longer guys. And they're yeah. probably still advantage. So it's just, and then you have consumers that are, you know, watching Bryson drive at 290 now instead of 340. It's like it's not as fun, probably making less birdies. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of dialing the game back. I just think, you know, we just need to get to work and try to get stronger and keep up with them. Yeah, that's, that's the right only, attitude to take like, into it. There's only five to ten guys who are, like, elite long, too. Yeah. Not like, you know, there's 100 now that carry a 340. Exactly. So, and you still got to get the ball in the hole. I mean – you look at Cameron Champ, Tony Finau, there's there's clearly a difference between those guys and Bryson because Bryson's had had far more success than those guys uh, just within the past year. So there's something to be said about even if you're hitting it that far, you still got to do something well. You got to hit your wedge as well. You got to chip and putt well. Right. So I want to get into your season, your rookie year on the PGA Tour. The highlight of your season was definitely shortly after the restart you placed fourth at the work day um mm-hmm. at jack's place and you had a crazy final round i saw a highlight you you hold out after finding a hazard but you ended up shooting 67 on the final day mm-hmm. i wanted to know you know what's it like being in that position for the first time knowing if you play really well you have a chance to win or, or come in with a top five and, and everything that comes with that money, FedEx Cup points, you know, what was that like? What was going kind of through your head during that final round? Yeah, so that, that whole week was kind of just wonderful. I mean, it's a beautiful golf course. It's one of the, like, one of the courses where as soon as I stepped foot on it, I was like, wow, I love this place. You know, it just looks good in my eye. It's mm-hmm. framed beautifully. And so I knew I had a chance already just to have a good week there. And then I, I played pretty well Thursday, Friday, Saturday but I never quite put that solid round together. I think I shot a couple under each day, you know, just kind of just kept climbing. Um, but I knew I had a low one in me and then just kind of got off to a great start on, on Sunday. Um, had a nice pairing too. We were paired with, uh, I think it was Matsuyama and MJ Duffy. And one, MJ's caddy is a good friend of mine too. So it was just a nice, comfortable group. But got off to a good start. Um, birdie the holes I should. And then... Um, yeah, just made the turn, and I was trying to play it smart on 11. And I threw it off the tee. I was intending on laying up the whole time to that front pin because it's an easy wedge shot. And then I laid up in the water. It was just a horrible layup. We yeah, had a great number, dropped, hold it. I mean, just kind of a freak thing. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, it's just, it was likely going to make par because the wedge shot, I mean, just the way that kind of funnels down. 
the wedge shot wasn't difficult uh, even after I laid up in the water, but to hold that was insane. And then, uh, you know, I stuffed it on 12, it's like a foot, two feet and made birdie. And then that was kind of when I finally looked at the board and was like, Oh, we're kind of like a couple back now. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is cool. And then, yeah, I just, I couldn't really get anything else going after that. I couldn't hit it close enough to, to really make a push at the leaders, but you know, I held my own coming down the stretch. I think I parred every hole except for 16, um, which is just an impossible part three. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it was just, it was an awesome feeling. And I knew I had that round in me. Uh, it was nice to put it together on Sunday when I kind of needed it. Coming down the stretch, you know, this is your first season on tour. You're probably thinking about, you know, just getting your tour card back, you know, making some money, just getting your feet under you. Was that in the back of your mind at all? Are you thinking, you know, I kind of want to have a chance to win here, but I also don't want to do anything stupid and and screw it up. And, you know, I want to come out with some FedEx cut points and something to show for it for the week. Is that, is that something you're thinking about? Right. No, I needed a good week for sure to kind of try to get into the playoffs and and all that stuff. So it's always in the back of your mind. I mean, I mean, I've been thinking about it, you know, walking between shots or anything, but it's always in your mind. And then, uh, Oh, I I like to, I like to look at leaderboards. So I was kind of watching, you know, every time they had one and, yeah, Dust or Justin and uh, I think was it Morikawa? Yeah, Morikawa. Yeah. yeah, they kind of started pulling away from me when I had like three or four holes left. So you know, at that point, I kind of knew I couldn't win unless you know I did something crazy. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, it was just you know trying to finish as high as I could. It was yeah. you know maintaining that either I think that solo fourth, you know, coming down the last few holes and you know trying to make birdies obviously, but not being too aggressive. Just trying to keep that position because yeah, the points are huge, the money's huge, so. Once I kind of once they pulled away and I realized I couldn't really catch them, it was just more, yeah, trying to you know keep where I was at. So you won, I think, a little over three hundred thousand dollars that week. It's got to be like one of your biggest paychecks ever, if not your biggest. Mm-hmm. Did you treat yourself to anything after that hit your bank account, or you know, did you celebrate it all? What was the week after kind of like? Not really. I don't think I really bought anything. Um, no, I don't really think I did. It's just nice seeing that direct deposit for sure. Uh, yeah. No, I don't think I really, I don't think I really bought anything. Maybe just a little bit of celebration with like my coach and all that, but yeah, try not to celebrate too hard because again, it still wasn't a win. It was just a nice finish. So exactly, yeah, it's got to be tough. I mean, you know, you're playing well, you, you finish high, but you got to stay focused and you got to use the time when you're playing well. You almost feel the pressure of all right, I got to go play well next week. I'm I'm striping it. I'm right. really good. So. It's got to be tough to to keep that mindset going into every week. It is no, and yeah, unfortunately, I came out after that. I think I missed like four cuts in a row. It's like just ridiculous. How, yeah, how, yeah. How bad I was playing. So <laughs> come off and you know excited and you want to play well and keep it going. And then yeah, I just didn't really kind of put it together after that. But it's all good. So when you got out on the PGA Tour at the beginning of the year. I'm guessing you had some goals that you'd said or a general idea of kind of what you wanted to accomplish in your first season. I'm curious as to what your mindset was like, you know, deep down, were you thinking, I just want to keep my card. I want to win. I want to be top 30. I want to be top 70. I just want to make the playoffs kind of, what were your goals, uh, you know, going into the season? Yeah. Um, always make it, make it to the tour championship. That's always going to be a goal every year. Um, Winning is always going to be a goal, trying to get that first win. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, just keep the card. Is, I mean, if you make it to a championship, you're fine. But obviously, you want to keep your card forever. You never want to lose it. Yeah. I mean, Brian Gay, I think the guy's ever lost his card. He's just, he's just steady, kept it going his whole career. 
I'm like, that's the model. That's what you want to do. You never want to have to go, you know, fight for your job again. So those are kind of the goals. And, you know, I didn't really reach, um, didn't really reach them like I wanted to, but, you know, I also lost out on like, I would say five or six starts with, you know, with the whole COVID thing. So mm-hmm. it was a little, it was kind of a shortened season too. So didn't really hold myself too much to the fire on, you know, not really accomplishing them, but no, kind of set more of the same goals this year too. I mean, want to get that first win big time. I want to make it for the championship. Want to get in the majors, you know, all the things that come with that. So absolutely. I'm working my tail off to, to, to try to make it happen. Yeah. So you, you mentioned it, you finished just outside the top 125. You finished, I think 131st in the, in the rankings last season, which I think gives you conditional status, right? I, I'm not sure you have full status into, you know, WGCs and, and, and all those events, but I'm not sure what my question is here, but I guess how far in advance do you know which tournaments you're going to play? Is your schedule completely ironed out for, for the year ahead? Do you, do, you, do you have an idea of where you're going to play? So within my category, um, you know, we have to get, we, we are reshuffled every so often. It's like every four or five events. Um, so looking ahead, I'm not certain on, on Sony yet. That one's going to be kind of close. Uh, should be good for Palm Springs. Should be good for, Torrey Pine should be good for Pebble. There's, there's a couple that, you know, that a lot of people take off and mm-hmm. allow more people in my category to, you know, then enter. So I have a good rough estimate on where I'll be playing with just a handful of question marks, you know, that are going to be a little closer to. So I have a good sense of where, you know, where I need to, where I need to play and, and all that stuff. And I just need to kind of make the most of my opportunities to try to, you know, get in that 125. Yeah. So just before we get to our, our last segment, which is a rapid fire segment, I wanted to know, you must have some great stories from your first year on tour, or even the days on the Corn Ferry, on the McKenzie. You've had a long career already in professional golf with hopefully some, some great days ahead of you, but do you have any great stories that you can think of off the top of your head? I had actually kind of a funny one last week. On Sunday, I was paired with Duffner. Um, Duffner and uh, oh, Mark Hubbard. But it was pouring down rain. We, we teed off in the rain pouring teed off in 11 it's pouring and like i'm i have the honors on 12 so i kind of you know i pop out under the umbrella and i hit one down there and it's raining really hard like it's it's not fun and like duffner kind of just refused to tee off (laughs) no way so so what what ended up happening yeah he's just like standing with his you know driver and his umbrella and he's just kind of like refusing to tee off and then you know the officials blew it actually and like probably two minutes later like he I guess he kind of knew it was coming and like you know I'm still you know young and playing in rain and all this stuff you know with the tour and the officials so I didn't really I just assumed we were just going to keep rolling but he just like kind of refused to tee off like he wouldn't do it and then uh yeah they officially blew it and he kind of made like a little funny comment but no I was just like watching him just stand there and he's just watching it rain and we're all just kind of like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess at that point you've already hit. So you're not, you're not thinking about the tee shot, you know, it's, it doesn't right. really affect you. And I guess, you know, it's probably gonna, they're probably gonna blow the horn, but that's funny. Right. There are probably, some, there are probably some better stories, but I, I can't really think of them on the spot. I need a little more time to reflect on them. No, that's a good one. So last segment here, I've got 10 rapid fire questions. So just the first thing that comes to your mind, after I say the question here. So the, the first one is, what's your lowest round ever? Tournament or non-tournament? 61 uh, in a tournament. Wow. Was that on, on the PGA Tour or, 
No, was that was actually just some mini-tour. I, uh, I think I turned in 29 and then uh, shot 32 on the back for a little 1161. Wow. Were you thinking 59 at all after you shot 29? Or is... I was. I was because I, uh, I was trying to hold the wedge on the last hole. I had like 110 yards in, and uh, I had it like 15 feet long and ended up two-potting actually. But, no, I was really trying to make the wedge shot because <laughs> I had a chance at it. You don't have chances at it very often, even yeah. if you that shot so but no it was cool who's your favorite florida state athlete of all time well wow, that's a great question uh, it's not rapid fire really though i don't know i really like Jameis. he's he's always happy and he was kind of in school like around the time i was um he's not really playing as well anymore as he used to but Jameis was always kind of a funny happy-go-lucky guy yeah uh what's your favorite chorus you've ever played pebble beach it has to be yeah, it's the greatest Tough to, tough to think of anything else. The greatest. Who's the funniest guy you've played with on tour? Funniest guy? Um, Duffner was right there. You, you heard the stories about him, and then, uh, yeah, once I got paired with him, he's kind of right there. What's your least favorite PGA Tour course that you've played? Probably Puerto Rico, maybe. just don't really – something about it I don't really care for. Yeah. What's, what's your favorite course on the PGA Tour? I mean, you just said your favorite course ever is Pebble Beach, so I'm assuming it yeah, could Pebble, be that. Right I mean, I love the Sea Island courses too. Obviously, TBC River Highlands is up there. I mean, I just had yeah. success. Yeah, you had a really good cool. final so, round there. I have, I have like a, I have ten favorites really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's one benefit of being on the PGA Tour that a normal person wouldn't realize? Could be hospitality. Could be you know really anything. Kind of how, how catered to we are. Um, I mean, anything we need at any point in time, there's someone that'll help us get it or do it. So it's, I mean, we're just so catered to, and it's such a, it's such a lovely perk to the job. And I mean, we have courtesy cars waiting on us when we land at the airport and just stuff like that. I mean, everything we need is kind of just handed to us, you know, or, or people help us get it. So that's another reason why, you see these guys that never lose their car. It's, they don't want to lose their car. They don't want to lose that. Yeah. What's the weirdest thing you keep in your golf bag? <laughs> I actually just threw them away. That's funny. I had like four rubber duckies in my golf bag for since I was in high school. Man, I mean, some of the answers we get are, are really yeah. crazy. That's insane. Mom, what was the purpose for that? My mom, like gave me one or something when I was young and then like I played well the next round and like her superstition and she got me like another one and I ended up with like four of them in my bag and they've been in there since high school and uh, actually down in Mexico you know we played in all that rain my bag got soaked and when I cleaned it out yeah the rubber duckies weren't smelling so good anymore <laughs> they, they hit the trash finally but yeah I had them in there for years four rubber duckies yeah <laughs> that's unbelievable yeah uh, what's the sexiest shot in golf? Like just a nice flush fake, like faded six iron to me. I don't know. I just love like kind of fading mid irons. It's like a, just a beautiful shot. Yeah. It's a cool ball flight. What's your go-to post shot swear slash reaction? <laughs> um, yeah, they probably caught me set on the mic a few times. Um, <laughs> Am I allowed to say it or you want me yeah, to just kind of... we're we're totally unedited, unfiltered, so it's up to you. Um yeah, probably God damn it Chase or Fuck you Chase or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. 
sometimes yeah. it's so cool. Like you say it before you even realize you said it, and then you're like, oh shit, it's a mic right underneath me here. It's probably not good. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's second nature. I mean, as golfers. Yeah. Actually, Actually, my favorite, actually, that I say may not even swear. Where are you going? Like, that's probably my favorite. Like, yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question. You have a putt to win the Masters, but if you miss, you have to quit golf forever. What's the longest putt you feel comfortable making? That's interesting. Um, dude, probably six feet, to be honest. That would be tipping it out. Wow. That's that's pretty confident. That's the longest we've I mean, heard so far. Yeah, I mean, make percentage from six feet to like seventy percent still. So it's not it's not great, but yeah, you're yeah. taking your. Oh, I wouldn't go any farther than that. I mean, that's that's max. Yeah, no, we we always we talk about this question a lot. This is one of our signature hypotheticals. We always say one. like six inches or something. Like six seven inches is as far as oh. we go. Then the nerves get to you, and you, who knows what happens from there, but. That's a good answer. Six feet. I love the confidence. But thank you so much, Chase, for joining us. This has been an, an awesome episode. Real pleasure having you on. And uh, best of luck whenever we see you next on the PGA Tour. Hopefully it's uh, Hawaii. Yeah, me too. No, no, I appreciate you having me on. It's a lot of fun. And uh, just great host, great podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See ya. I hit a chili dip. It was off the it was off the hosel. I mean Cameron Davis is a joke. Mike, you got any yeah. takes on the e-golf pro tour? You already have iron <laughs> covers. You already look like a giant <laughs> pussy. I don't care. I honestly don't give a shit. He could be six feet under at this point, whoever WD. I didn't watch a single bit of it, but I'm going to chirp at the Fairmont St. Andrews because of the name. Paul Tesori. Paul Tesori, friend of the pod. Neiman, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Yeah. Friend of the pod on Betsy. Terrell Haddon, are you kidding me? And there's a raccoon, no joke, like 20 feet away. (laughs) Florida. Say Florida, I'm hanging. No, you can't say Florida.